Welcome, friends, to this brand new edition of A Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry with Pastor Brad Abley. We're delighted that you've joined us today, and we've already been praying for you, that you would meet the Lord in a fresh, new way. We've also been praying that you would be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus by the power of His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, let's resume our Know Your Faith series as we go through the entire Gospel of Luke, patiently, slowly, and verse by verse. Here's Pastor Brad. Well, very, very warm greetings to you, my dear friends. And given that this is uh, the month of December, I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. And I celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, with you. And um, today, in today's message, we are doing a series called Behold, Stand in Awe. He is God, God the Incarnate Son. We are going to pause our study in Luke uh, for the month of December, and then we'll return to it uh, the first week in January. Well, I'm going to get right into the Word now, and what I'm going to do is read for you Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, and then John chapter 1, verse 29. Let me read Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that is an engagement that cannot be broken, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, verse 20, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, verse 23, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And then in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now again, the title is Behold, Stand in Awe. He is God, God the Incarnate Son. Let's pray before we go any further in this message. Please join me. Holy Spirit, you are our master teacher. 
would you use this message to glorify the Father and the Son? And then would you stir our hearts to be hungry and thirsty for you and for your word? We need you to open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to receive all that you have for us and not miss a thing. And we pray that you would produce in and through us great and extraordinary present and eternal fruit for the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, before I get any further into the incarnation and the virgin birth of Jesus, let me say this. My friends, it is impossible to fully appreciate or even understand this essential of our faith unless we first frankly and honestly understand the reason and the background for the incarnation of Jesus. And to do that, we need a refresher of man's sinful condition. Think about this with me. Here is what man, created in God's image and according to his likeness, has devolved into, fallen down into. Let me just give you a list of sin. Hidden motives in his dealings with others. Self-deception. Deception of others. Lying, cheating, stealing gossiping, selfishness, hatred in his heart toward people and toward God, revenge, swearing or filthy language, threats, manipulation, pride, the covering of sin from others, the failure to do what is right always, favoritism, belittling and mocking of others, self-righteousness, failure to love the Lord our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. Tempting others to sin with virtually every sin in this list. False accusation, slander, anger, impatience, coveting of people, reputation, things, and wealth. Murder, abortion, rape, kidnapping, the enslaving of others and sex trafficking of young girls and boys, sexual abuse, sexual immorality of every kind, perversion of every kind, refusal to thank God, foolish behavior, coarse joking, jealousy, impurity, strife, bitterness, blasphemy, complaining, disobedient to parents, rebellion, division, witchcraft, and devotion to and the worship of Satan, drunkenness, gluttony, unrighteous judging, living for pleasure, lovers of self rather than lovers of God, the persecution of believers, heresy, false teaching, including especially in the West, evolution, the sitting of man in judgment of God when in reality God sits in judgment of man. Pagan evangelists 
always seeking to turn people away from Jesus, especially young people. They are teachers in classrooms. They are professors in the universities. They are in television and film, the actors, the producers, the directors. They are authors. They are musicians, and they are the media. And my friends, apart from the incarnation and the crucifixion of Jesus, not one of these sins is forgiven or atoned for. But let me give you the good news that in Jesus, faith in Jesus, we have the assurance of Ephesians 1 verse 7, always and whenever we ask, which says this, in him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. That is the purchase of us out of slavery to sin into righteousness and freedom. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Hallelujah. Now, my friend, I hope that you can see with me that man needs a remedy for his sin, but he has none. He cannot get rid of his sin or his sinful natures. He can't redeem himself or his life. He can't restore himself or his life. He cannot give himself eternal life. He cannot resurrect his body. He cannot redeem others. He cannot redeem the spoiled creation creation all around him. He cannot change others. Man created in the image and likeness of God is frightfully lost, evil, wicked, helpless, and hopeless. And that's not all. The worst sin of all by far is the rejection of the crucifixion of Jesus to receive forgiveness of their sins, and thus they disdain his sacrifice on the cross, even still thinking, especially people in the West, that they're going to get into heaven because, after all, I'm a good person. And then people have the audacity to say, when someone dies, rest in peace, they're in heaven. And that is the great lie, the great deception. Now, my friends, in contrast, God is perfectly holy, righteous, and just. And he demands the same of us. No excuses, no compromise, no winking, no overlooking. He will assuredly punish every sin with his righteous wrath, which arises gradually and is guided by reason. It is never vindictive, and it most assuredly is never wrong. God is always right. Man is always wrong. End of story. That's the testimony of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Now, the cost of Jesus taking all that sin, trillions and trillions and trillions of sin, upon himself is incomprehensible. 
every one of those sins listed above and many more. And yet he took the penalty and the wrath of God the Father for those sins placed upon him on the cross. That, my friends, is the reason for his merciful incarnation. Apart from that, there is no salvation. Thus, for anyone to reject what he did is most certainly to reject him, to reject God, to reject the Holy Spirit who brought the grace and faith and the conviction to them to reject the teaching of the Scripture. This is the most serious sin by far. And in coming to us in his mercy, we ought therefore to stand in awe of him, to devote our lives to him, to be desperate to know everything about him through his word, to walk with him and to make him known. Now, saints in Christ Jesus, in God's mercy, love, grace, and forgiveness, in the old covenant, he provided a temporary means of covering man's sin. At the time, pagan deities required the shedding of blood to to appease them from their wrath. On the other hand, God mercifully sought to cover man's sin through the atonement, not of his own blood or through his own blood, but through the costly, blameless animal sacrifice, an animal that had to be without defect. Why? In large part, this would point to a greater sacrifice, his own son, who himself chose to give himself over to cover your sins and my sins. And my friends, this leads us to the focal point of this message, the incarnation of Jesus and the virgin birth. Because God cannot join to himself sinful flesh. He can only join to himself sinless flesh. And we find this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to go back to verse 20. But when he, that is Joseph, had considered this, watch this, behold, I got to emphasize that, behold, I'll explain that in a moment. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. What astonishment and awe that ought to strike in us. And she will bear a son, verse 21, and you shall call his name Jesus. In Hebrew, Yeshua, which is salvation, deliverance, or victory. And the reason for he will save his people from their sins. Not an animal sacrifice, but he through his own sinless, perfect life. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill 
And that, that is one of the most prominent themes in the Gospel of Matthew, who wrote to Jewish people who would never believe what he had to say unless he could demonstrate the fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And so repeatedly, he uses the phrase, now all this took place to fulfill. And then he says, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. The prophet is Isaiah. And here we have a beautiful picture of the inspiration of Scripture. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture, literally every word, is inspired by God. God breathed. And yet, the miracle of Scripture is that He chooses to use man. And He doesn't bypass man's personality or his culture. But he works through man and still ensures that Scripture is inerrant and infallible. Behold, what an extraordinary thing. And then Matthew is going to quote Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And this prophecy was given by Isaiah 700 years before it was fulfilled in the Messiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is basically a title, which translated means God with us. Matthew begins his gospel with Emmanuel, God with us, and he ends it when Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, Lo, behold, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The incarnation of Jesus. My friends, this is just the starting point. Jesus, through his incarnation and resurrection, is going to redeem it all, every moment that sin destroyed, every situation that sin destroyed, he is going to redeem it all. The witness of Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament and everywhere in between is that, listen to this, Jesus saved us from our sins, but he redeemed us to his righteousness to reconciliation with him, to restoration with him, to resurrection with him spiritually and then physically, to reign with him. And then we are going to be involved directly in his restoration of all things, of history, of nations who have given themselves to him, of creation in the new heaven and in the new earth. One of the things I look forward to greatly is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the, and the young calf together and a little boy 
will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Verse 8, the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And my friends, this is the reason and the result for the incarnation of Jesus. Now, my friends, we can stand in awe of God the Son, God the Incarnate Son. Now we can focus on the gospel, which is more than good news. It is great news or joyful great news of a life-changing event. That is the gospel. Now we can rejoice. Now we can behold and worship. And the way to do this is to learn to behold. My friends, God is a behold God. The Christian faith is a behold faith, and we ought to be behold people. But how? First, behold is so important that you might be surprised that it appears a whopping 1,154 times in the Old Testament, 117 times in the New Testament, for a grand total of 1,271 times. That tells you how important behold is to God and how much he wants us to be behold people. Now, amazingly, the word behold in the Old Testament and the New Testament is an introduction of something new or quite extraordinary. And for our purposes, it we can summarize it as to stand in awe. So that when we see that word in Scripture, it should cause us to stop, to ponder, to pray, to worship, and to be prepared for what's coming next. Now, in the Old Testament, the vast majority of times that word behold appears, the word is hineni. Hineni. Will you say that with me? Hineni. But... Hineni is also used of man in response to God. It can be translated behold, but it means here I am, ready to do your will. Now, as I move to close, I want to mention three ways to behold God the Son incarnate. First, number one, here's what I've learned over 40 years of walking with our Lord. And that is to pause, to pray, to sit with, to meditate upon, and to stop and worship God while I'm studying his word. To let it permeate me so much that it comes out of my pores and becomes a fragrant aroma to everyone around me. To those who are being saved, an aroma of life. To those who are being to those who are perishing an aroma of death. And Paul says, who is adequate for these things? 
I will often, when I'm reading scripture, just raise my hands in thanksgiving to God. My friends, I have found that this behold activity brings, it just brings his presence, his life, and his joy because he's honored. Then the second way that I have learned to behold the God, the Son incarnate, is to live a lifestyle of gratitude, thanking him for everything possible, the smallest of things to the greatest of things. Sometimes I thank him for the same things, but with different perspectives, and I've done this for decades now. I do it when things are going well and when the bottom drops out and life is as hard as it can be, or when he seems distant. I thank him starting off for the simplest of things, my shoes, my clothes, the home that I live in. And then I move on up to thank him for things that are much greater than that, my wife, Maureen, with whom I've been married to since 1983. She is the greatest thing I have going for me. She is a gift from God for me. But spiritually speaking, I will thank him for my salvation. Even though I've been a believer all these years, I still am in awe that he saved my soul and transformed me. I thank him for his word. I thank him for eternal life. I thank him for answered prayer. I thank him for his presence. I thank him for praise and worship. I thank him for his church. I thank him for believers. And only then do I thank him for the ministry that he has entrusted to me. Now, my friends, I can tell you that this is a life-changing spiritual discipline. And I can also tell you that thanking God, oh, it gets his attention. It's astonishing in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus heals 10 lepers at one time and only one turns back to thank him. And he makes a note of it. On the other hand, God indicts the whole world for its stunning lack of gratitude to him in Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. And lastly, I have much more to say, but I'm unfortunately going to run out of time. The third way to behold God the Son incarnate is to become a hineni man or woman. Remember what it means, behold me, or here I am ready to do your will. You see that in the responses of Isaiah when Yahweh called Isaiah to minister on his behalf. And when he asked the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? What did Isaiah do? Here I am, send me. Ready to do your will. You can read it in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And then in the most, one of the most stunning chapters in the Bible, when God tested Abraham, he said, Abraham, 
And Abraham said, Hineni, here I am ready to do your will. The challenge then, the desire, the invitation for us, my friends, is to become Hineni men and women. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, ready to do your will. My friends, I pray that you will put into practice these things that I have mentioned so that you can become a behold man, woman, or child. Now, the only way that you can do that, my friend, is if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Just call on his name with humility and sincerity and ask him to save you, and he will and he will change you and transform you forever and ever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Brad, for this outstanding message and time of ministry. Friends, Pastor Brad and his wife Maureen need a prayer team. Would you kindly consider praying for them on a daily basis? Thank you for your partnership. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please tell others about it. If you would like to partner with him financially, please go to his website at bradably.com. You can also check out his two devotionals and his commentaries on Amazon.com. Until next time, we pray that our Lord stir you daily to have a greater heart after Him in every way.